My dad, like many dads, was his children's personal stand-up comedian. And my sister and I were two small, die-hard fans with season tickets to Clay Live. His material killed. There were dubious claims, like telling us he invented root beer. There were absurdities, like nonchalantly pulling our lanky standard poodle, Louie, onto his lap at the dinner table when company was over. And there was physical comedy, like pretending his car had a mind of its own, driving us uncontrollably to Dairy Queen as he struggled to fight his possessed gas pedal and steering wheel. My father was so committed to entertaining my sister and I that he even did it in his sleep. A sleep talker, once after he dozed off during a family movie night, he announced, you know girls, Shamu is just a man in a killer whale outfit. (laughs) My sister and I tried in vain for years after that to start conversations with him while he was asleep. Sure, we'd get something on par with the Shamu comment, but it never worked. My dad was big on entertaining us, but small children, of course, are entertaining in and of themselves. For one, they have considerable velocity. And my sister and I spent our childhoods being jostled, spun, flung, and tossed through the air before being heroically caught just in the nick of time. He was a legend in swimming pools catapulting us from the shallow to deep ends in one throw. We'd take turns standing on his shoulders and diving off, our father, the human diving board. Maddie and I marvel about how much time my father spent with us when we were little. For some of my childhood, because of his work schedule, he was home when I got home from school. And if I met him with a sullen, I don't know, when he asked how my day was, I'd sometimes be interviewed with his reporter notebook. He was usually able to elicit a story from me, even when it involved the complicated social dynamics of being in fourth grade or featured three girls who were all named Megan. I think he recognized me and my sister's need for attention, or what he would call making a fuss, though we kept that desire buried under layers of shyness and an instinct to hide. Although he and I never talked about this, I admitted to him on Sunday that once when I was about 10, I pretended to sprain my ankle. I committed to a complex multi-day performance, which included limping, using crutches, and putting my mother's eyeshadow on the side of my ankle to create a bruise. When my ankle was mysteriously not improving, he took me to the doctor. My memory is that the doctor looked at my ankle and then asked my father to step out of the room with him. We went home, and my dad never said anything about it. I soon healed. (laughs) Writing and reading is in our blood, thanks to our parents. Maddie was an English major and went on to get a doctorate in Victorian literature. and I was a journalism major. My sister pointed out the other day that my father had the mark of a truly great writer and that he made a difficult, lonely art form look easy. I'm still reaching for that. I got my first writing job when I was 25 working for The Village Voice. I worked for the events calendar writing capsule descriptions of upcoming concerts and B-movie festivals. 
Yesterday, I found an email that I sent to him in 2008 that opens with, Daddy, can you read this for me? It's for a new bar and restaurant that is inspired by British colonialism's influence on the Far East. (laughs) I took this job far too seriously. And I would often call him in tears, unable to see my way out of an overwritten sentence or an idea that just didn't work. And he'd get on the phone with me as he read whatever I'd emailed for review. His first comment after some silence and asking me if I had used a thesaurus to write it was usually, too many words, honey. Next, delete that. You don't need it. And finally, he'd leave me with that admonishment to, quote, write it tight and make it sing a mantra that's guided me and so many of the Gazette reporters he shaped over the years. He'd surely flag these next couple of paragraphs as, quote, too many words and want them struck out, but I'll go over the word count. Even though my dad worked hard to create a public image of an acerbic Midwesterner, he was a gentle, generous soul. To be stingy, to be mired in, quote, gooberism, to be emotionally impoverished, to be fearful or judgmental of thy neighbor, got you filed away in my dad's brain as a boob, a goon, or a moron. He loved hugely, and he was surprisingly sensitive. He often had his antennas turned outwards to others, picking up on their frequencies and their needs, even though, especially in the last decade of his life, we wish that he could have turned those antennas inward. When a cardiologist came into the hospital room on Sunday afternoon to explain my father's state to my sister, mother, and I, he drew a cross-section of my dad's heart on a dry erase board in the room. The right side of his heart was enlarged and was putting too much weight on the other side. At least, that's what we gathered from the drawing. The doctor's artistic skills were what my father might call challenged. It might have been more effective to simply draw a stick figure with a large heart and bad written next to it. (laughs) But how appropriate that what took my father in the end was his oversized heart. My dad used to say that his father, who was sometimes a man of few words, would occasionally quip, good farmer, when driving by farm plots in Iowa that met his approval. Being deemed a good farmer was huge praise from my grandfather and a status that my father aspired to reach. My dad would hurriedly prune bushes and clear dropped oranges from our backyard before my grandparents would visit in a 